Everybody out there in internet land, welcome to Mystery Science Marshall, a podcast all about the crazy things, the crazy media that I love. Today is a very, very special episode. I'm joined by two of the biggest Marvel fans that I know, my good, good friends, Amelia Reinitz and Grace O'Brien. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, this, um, I'm very excited about this episode because... The three of us and the rest of our friends, but especially you two with me, we have had Marvel conversations that have just gone on and on in the classroom. They I remember span, They span days occasionally. They do. I remember talking with you, Amelia, specifically, and our friend Max about Avengers um, Infinity War and chemistry. And that just went on and on. Because we didn't want to do any chemistry, of course. No, we never wanted to do chemistry. We always found something else to talk about. I mean, who does want to <laughs> miracle do chemistry? Yeah, you know, talking about Captain America is way better than, you know, the more. Obviously. Obviously. So, uh, we don't really have any set agenda. We're just kind of going to generally talk about why we love the MCU and certain aspects of it we do. So, this is a little segment I like to call Marvel Madness. Marvel Madness with Marshall, Grace, and Amelia. Alright. How do we want to begin? What was your first experience watching a Marvel film? Do you remember? Yes, I do. Uh, eighth grade, it was the sore field trip. And Justin and David dragged me into, I think it was Iron Man or something. But ever since then, they kind of got me hooked. Mm -hmm. They trapped me. So it was them interesting. Grace, do you remember? Uh, I think it was when my mom and I sort of started watching Thor. And then we both (laughs) fell in love with all the characters and that obsession with Thor kind of spread, for me at least, to pretty much the entirety of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. I remember you telling me about watching Thor with your mom and how you really liked Loki and your mom is vehemently opposed to Loki. (laughs) Oh, yes. She is Thor all the way. So if it was like Twilight with Team Edward versus Team Jacob. It's Team Thor versus Team Loki. Boy. Yeah, that is kind of a real, like, strange divide exactly. in the Marvel fandom. Are you a Chris Hemsworth or are you a Tom Hiddleston? <laughs> so I think... What about I've, you, Marshall? Yeah, I've always been a big superhero nerd. You know me. I've always been a big DC nerd, okay? And I was right. never a big Marvel person. Until, on a whim, I think I went and saw the Avengers film, the first Avengers film, in the theater in 2012. 
because I heard so many people talking about it, and I knew about these heroes. I mean, I knew Iron Man was well, a thing. You were, you were like friends with complete dorks who don't shut up about any movie and then go and spoil it for you while <laughs> talking about it. Exactly. Also, so I went to the theater. I watched the first Avengers, and I was like, huh, this is pretty good. I like this. And then that summer up in my cabin, in the little town next to our cabin, there was like a, there was a holiday gas station, and they had like a movie selection. You can go rent movies for two days. And Thor was sitting down there. And I was like, Mother, let's go watch Thor. And so we rented it from the little holiday, and I really liked the Thor movie. And then I kept watching them, and I saw Iron Man, and then I started getting more nerdy about the Marvel <laughs> Universe. And it kind of just exploded from there. As the world got more into Marvel, I suppose I got more into yeah. Marvel as everybody. And then he stayed more into well, it than everybody else. <laughs> hey, but like, honestly, it's weird because I used to just not like superheroes. And then, of course, the boys, as they do, they force me to do things. And now I'm like totally in love with it and more in love with it than they are. And I could school them on any Marvel trivia at any time. That's what we should do. We should pull up some sort of Marvel trivia test at the end of this. Ooh, okay. Make, make a note of that. Somebody remember. BuzzFeed has yeah. all the quizzes. I love taking Marvel BuzzFeed <laughs> quizzes. What Avenger are you? Who would be your Avenger I, BFF? I took a quiz and I think I got Captain America. Oh, there you go. Hey, here's the thing. I like to take the ones that are like a mix of the team. So I took one that was who's your galaxy and who's your Avenger persona. And mine was Groot and Black Widow and I am here for it. <laughs> you have the sass of Groot. And I guess there's a little bit of sass in Black Widow. Yeah. Plus stubbornness and strength. Yeah, I mean, you're pretty tough, Amelia. <laughs> and Black Widow is pretty tough, so. Thank you. <laughs> Can we rank a favorite Marvel film? Do we have a favorite? Or is that like, you know, picking oh. your children? I think it's like picking my children. Yeah. I think it's easier to pick which ones you, you're not fond of than it is right. your favorite. Okay, which ones are you not fond of then? Have you seen all of them? Look, I have not seen all yeah. of them. I have. I think I've seen all of them except that first Incredible Hulk movie with you know the different actor playing. Oh Hulk. yeah, I haven't seen that one either. I but the I've one seen... I do not like, the one I do not like, is Age of Ultron, and a lot of people might <gasps> come for me for that, but Age I don't of, like it. <laughs> Age of Ultron is so interesting because I think half of Age of Ultron is so good, and the other half is complete trash. I adore yeah. everything. I love Scarlet Witch, and I love Quicksilver, and I love that relationship. Yeah. I like Ultron himself. I don't really like his plan, but I like um, the concept of like, Ultron. I feel like if Ultron was a real thing, he would have a much worse plan. <laughs> Personally, that's just me. I feel like it's not realistic. If there was an all-knowing robot, I don't... I don't think he'd want to send a city into the sky. I no. I think he might want to destroy the universe. That's but they, just had, they had to build things up, Amelia. They have to build the universe. Their master evil plans have to get worse as time goes on. Can't be Thanos right away. <laughs> I think just that last action sequence is so terrible to look at. 
just in the desert. It it's no. <laughs> it's just painful for me. I, I love what would happen. I love how they get into the psychology of some of the characters, though. Mm-hmm. Like when Scarlet Witch is able to like get in people's minds, and we see Steve, oh Peggy, and the dance, and that whole mm-hmm. sequence. That breaks my heart every time. <laughs> every oh. time it makes me sad. So good, and I love Hawkeye and his family. I love that little bit of the film. I kind of liked how it showed the vulnerability to these super strong heroes. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be invincible but everybody has a weakness in and them. it started that idea mm-hmm. which continues on especially in civil war and we see that in yep. infinity you know because civil war carries on to infinity war because everybody hates each other so <laughs> half of them hate you know the other half and that's why they kind of lose to thanos because they're split up kind of lose to thanos well, kind of partial they lose <laughs> i mean when half the universe the living universe just Vanishes, <laughs> gets dusted. Snap. Yeah, it was a big snap. You might think <laughs> that they lost a lot. It's not just the best sequence of any film, <laughs> just for the shock value. I know. Okay, so we went and saw Infinity War together. Were we? Were you there, Grace? I think Amelia, you were there. I, I went know, and saw there the- together. It was with like all the. Grace is next to me because she kept telling me to stop crying. <laughs> That's every movie. That's a fair point. And I remember when the snap happened and people started to fade away. Amelia, (laughs) did you, were you okay? I was not okay. I mean, there was so much much hype and conversation about someone being killed off. Yeah. Nobody thought it was going to reach that extent. I know. See Black Panther, right? Who we just fell in love with. I remember thinking, I couldn't believe they had done it. I was in awe at the end of just the writing of that film and just how... You two were next to me when <laughs> both Tom Holland and Black Panther was taken away and I was not okay. It's, that script is so good. I think the Infinity War script is better systematically on paper than Endgame because of the plotting up and how it follows... Kind of the hero's journey archetype, but for Thanos in a strange mm-hmm. way. It's Thanos's film, and I love the Gamora stuff with him and Thanos. It's absolutely toxic relationship <laughs> and how that happens, and in the intermixing of the Guardians and just that ending. Terrible relationship, gonna... but really great for the plot. They really needed to make sure we came back a year later. I know, which we all did, the biggest, and then some. The biggest cliffhanger in cinema history. After Luke, I am your father. I <laughs> Literally, oh, I was not okay. Anybody else have a favorite film? I mean, we think I think I mean Infinity War and Endgame are quite the feats of cinema. I think yeah. Thor Ragnarok was a really good one because the that was, two, that's a gem. <laughs> the first two Thor movies, especially the second one, was just so serious and it was really trying to fit that hero the classic hero this idea and then the greek myth archetype yeah Yeah. and hercules yep and then like with ragnarok you get more sides to each character they have more depth so you see thor isn't this perfect serious hero and loki really isn't that bad 
He's just misunderstood. Well, Thor's hilarious <laughs> in Ragnarok. Yeah. I think that's brought from the director, from Taika Waititi, who is the strangest well, yeah. man I think you'd ever meet. <laughs> strangest and, and most brilliant. And we can also all recognize that I'm pretty sure Loki slept his way to the top. Just for reference. <laughs> um, I think that's how he got there. And I think that should be recognized because I think that is a big part of his personality. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum as um, the Grandmaster. Oh that my gosh. Perfect. I know the perfect character for him. It, it just brought out so much humor. Now, I'm somebody that will argue that Thor The Dark World is actually a good film. I think some of its complexities and how it does explore characters such as mm. Loki is very deep. I adore Loki's relationship with Frigga. Thor The Dark World is what made me like Loki. Watching the first yep. Thor and watching yeah. Avengers, I was never like a big loving Loki fan, big, you know, Tom Hiddleston, oh my gosh, fanboy, and you know, like that, that sort of <laughs> sector of Tom the Marvel Hiddleston. fandom. I have always loved Tom Hiddleston because he's like big Shakespeare guy and like just a British actor. And Who doesn't love a good British actor? Yeah, but I did not like Loki. Right. I did not love Loki for the first two films he was in because you're you weren't supposed to like him yeah they set him up so you wouldn't like him mm -hmm. but i think then you start looking into his backstory and his relationships with everybody and then it, you kind of see that he's just had a rough life mm -hmm. and thor the dark world really explains that we really get the inside of how odin was never a true father to him. odin just lied to him. I mean, A, that he was a frost giant, and I think even greater than that, that he would get the throne. That he actually had a, cha had a chance for the throne. No, it was always going to go to Thor. Odin yeah, that knew that. Odin was very manipulative in that way. And the only person who cared about him really was Frigga, who was an outsider herself. Mm -hmm. She was Odin's... I'm not sure how much they go into this in the films, how much in the Marvel universe this is, like in the movie universe this is, but she was Odin's second wife. And she's a witch. Yeah. She, has mad, she has magic, like Loki. She probably taught him. And if you look back, like, even in Norse mythology, like, looking at relationships between all four of them, Frigga literally taught Loki everything he knew. Like, disappearing and changing clothes dramatically, that came from his mother. Yeah. Their fighting <laughs> style. There is a, similar, a similarity in the choreography of the fight. But also... Thor Ragnarok, it made me question a little bit whether or not Thor was adopted because when <laughs> Hela came into the picture, she and Loki are so alike that it's like, did Odin have a thing for adopting <laughs> magical, angry children? Can we agree that Hela needs to come back? Like, Hela is not dead. Oh, They yeah. do not bring her back in a movie somewhere. Even in Thor Love and Thunder, like if Hela were to show up randomly in Thor Love and Thunder, I would be in love. See, I'm on the other side of things. She can stay gone. She was just a bit much for me. Her intentions, her plans were a bit too much. There's like Hela bad and Thanos bad. And Thanos bad is almost more bearable than Hela bad. <laughs> they both wanted to wipe out the yeah. world. I mean, Ragnarok yeah. is the end of all things, and Thanos, well, I mean, ha half the world's Thanos. Give him credit for that. 
give him credit for sparing No, he cash. doesn't deserve credit for that. <laughs> there was a big theory that in the comics, Thanos is doing the whole, wants to do the whole snap thing and gathering the stones for death. Literally the embodiment of death in mm -hmm. a female form. There was a huge theory that death was going to be Hela. And I truly subscribed to that and wanted that, <laughs> wanted that to that. happen. Well, see, here's the thing. After Ragnarok, I believe our friend group made a list of who's who. And if I recall, David was Hela. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so looking at Hela's plan, like, that's just who she is. She takes it a bit too far. <laughs> Much <And> how David <laughs> takes things a right. bit too far. And so when you look at things like that, it's like, I understand why, why I don't like her because that's just her personality. And I know people like that and they stress me out. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe don't, we don't want to see Hela back causing troubles for our beloved Thor and Loki. I think that would bring another wave of trauma to these already traumatized yeah. characters. Especially Thor right now. Thor's yes. still not doing the best. Thor doesn't need any more reminders of pain. He wore crop. <laughs> he did. <laughs> and he got fat. Yeah, that's a big low point and for poor Thor. He was also playing Fortnite. All bad things. <laughs> Together. He was drunk 24-7. I mean... But no, honesty, I think if I went through that much trauma... I, I might be a little bit like Thor, too, so... Yeah. I do appreciate how Marvel did address all the trauma and the grief and the different ways mm. that people deal with that sort of deal pain. with it. And that's what the first act of Endgame is all about. Yeah. Is after a huge dramatic event, how do people deal with it? Mm -hmm. Thor blamed himself. Tony went along... Created, he did create a new life for himself, but he maybe turned that away too much and gave up on trying to do more, but did more for himself. I think that's where he got, he was trying to find that balance uh -huh. before. And then his idea of balance was just giving up the superhero life because of all that he almost lost. And Black Widow didn't give up and she devoted 100% mm -hmm. to still trying to fix things. Because that's all she's had. This new life right. after Budapest, after being an assassin, which hopefully we'll get a look into that <laughs> life in the Black Widow film. That. I know. So that's all she's had is this new Avengers family and to continue working with that, which is why I think her death in Endgame, which I know some people were very up in arms about, I think it works so well. <laughs> I would say it works so well for her arc because in the end she still sacrificed everything for the friends that she grew yeah. to love. Gave it all, gave her all. Well, I didn't appreciate it, but. <laughs> I mean, it really sucks losing Natasha, and yes, we are losing a wonderful female character. Yes. But that's not even my problem with it, is that Natasha was starting to become one of the, like, she was becoming the glue between the Avengers. That's something that they no longer have. She so. was she was a real beacon of hope. Mm -hmm. When Cap got all dark and brooding, 
she was still pretty dang helpful. I love that scene between them in the beginning of Endgame after the time jump. When they're just sitting down, I think she had got a sandwich or something wanted to yeah, eat she it made or whatever. Yes. And they're just talking. Steve says it's we need to move on. Yeah. And she doesn't want to because she still has that hope. Mm-hmm. Right? I think you just because she literally believes that she can get her friends back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were all at that point where it's been what, five years? Mm-hmm. We're out half our team. How are we going to beat this crazy strong dude that wipes out half the universe using some magical infinity stones? Mm-hmm. They don't exist. I mean, he's Thanos is dead at that point. Yeah. The infinity stones are have disappeared and vanished. She was literally that person who's like, no, we can get them back and we will get them back. And I will do whatever it takes. And she became the driving force in their mission to save their family. And so for me, her death was literally useless. It, I didn't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I understand that. I think it's impactful to see a character truly give it their all, but yet, I mean, that was fulfilled with mm-hmm. Tony. I mean, Tony did the same thing. Yeah. He sacrificed himself for everything. Also didn't appreciate that, but <laughs> it's and Steve cried a lot that day. <laughs> I mean, here's something with Steve Rogers. There, there, I've been listening to this Star Wars podcast recently, and they've really been explaining different monomyths, different mythic storytelling. Mythically, I, I've always loved how they do end Steve's story. And that he did get to go off with Peggy, came back. Got to live that life he'd always wanted to do. The issue is, that sort of thing follows the- the timeline. Well, it does. It's, that, that he went to another dimension. It's a completely other dimension. That's the thing about that. It follows the American monomyth. The American monomyth, at the end of the American monomyth, the hero fades into obscurity, goes away, doesn't continue the fight, doesn't bring back everything that they've learned to help the next generation. They just leave. While in Joseph Campbell's myth, the whole point of the journey is to bring back the elixir, as Campbell calls it, bring back what you've learned and better the community by that and continue to pass it on. So Steve kind of took the easy way out. Yes, but he also did, he, he did both because he did pass it on. He passed on the mantle, but he didn't pass on the knowledge. And so we don't know what the full story is going to be with the Falcon and Winter Soldier when that comes out. When, you know, literally, if it wasn't for coronavirus, we probably would be watching the Falcon and Falcon Winter Soldier right now. It was supposed <laughs> to come out this summer, so you know, you know that's really tragic. We, we could be doing all sorts of things. Yeah. Well, you're tr- that's very true. Let's not dwell on that. We're supposed to be supposed to be bringing us joy right now. That's the purpose of this but podcast. But we've been talking about sad moments, so I think if anything, it's just only natural continuing 
on connecting it to our but real also, lives. But also, when you look at Steve's ending, I don't think, I don't think personally that that's how he should have faded into obscurity. I think it would have been okay had he not gone back in time, because first of all, that in my mind, that screws with the timeline, despite traveling dimensions or whatever. I, it screws with the timeline, so I struggle there. But I think Steve should have come back and taken up a mantle at S.H.I.E.L.D. Or even as like the Avengers babysitter, basically. I feel like he could have taken a different leadership position that would have taken him out of the field. And I think that would have personally, in my mind, I think that would have been a better, better ending. And that's the idea of becoming the mentor, becoming the master and the teacher. But he's, then when you look at what everything he's given up, he went into ice and then woke up like 70 years later. And now he has to fight so many more battles to save the country, to save the earth, to save the universe, shouldn't he get that family life he always wanted? Shouldn't yes. he have that happy ending? Yes, but before this, before Endgame and Infinity War, he had just started to accept that maybe the Avengers were his family. Like, like never gave hope. Mm -hmm gave up hope that he would be able to go back he he was finally accepting this new world his new his new identity in place within the 21st century right and i think having him go back really that because it basically negated all the work he had been doing for himself he reverted back to the comfortable and the desire but what would you do in that situation would you go back and be the mentor or would you want to go back and just have a comfortable and peaceful and quiet life? See, I don't know what I would do. I'm terrible at making decisions. You see, so, these heroes are not supposed to be what we would actually do in real life. They're supposed to be hyper extensions of reality. They're supposed to be symbols for us to teach us these values and these virtue. And in a way, Captain America, going back is taking the easy way out, which teaches us in a way we can take the easy way out after we've accomplished a lot, which well, I think Amelia and I both have problems with. Yes. But I like what Grace was getting on here in that some of the stuff that's happening, mm -hmm. especially in Infinity War and Endgame, is really dark, really tragic. And right now in the world, 2020, the coronavirus, all of our, our national conversation about race and things mm -hmm. like the death of George Floyd. There is a lot of tragic things happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of dark days that things look to be. Something about these Marvel films, and when we see an endgame, is that idea of hope and how we persevere and continue to move forward, to push on. Unfortunately, we don't have time travel. That's true. <laughs> I feel like we fix a lot of our current issues if we did. But well, would we though? I mean, humans still are gonna. I mean, we're human. Something bad has to happen. It's almost would, inevitable. We'd mess up on a few more things. 
there'd be a whole different set of problems. We fix some That's of these problems. We have. Who knows what? Maybe we could have prevented the murder hornets. I don't they know. disappeared, so... Yeah, well, that's almost as concerning as them appearing, okay? We go back <laughs> to the dinosaurs, and we, we change their environment and habitat so that when the meteor hits, they're still alive. They're okay. So we have dinosaurs living with us today. We would have no need for cars. Wait a minute. All that environmental have... damage. We so just we're ride our dinosaurs. To have that's like Jurassic yeah. issues. And polar bears for the people in Alaska and Minnesota, according to people in, you know, California, who think, we, who think we ride polar bears. Well, don't we? <laughs> That's how I got to school every day. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. It is hard right now. And that idea of hope, I'm going to be honest, hope is like a distant thought, <laughs> like maybe in November when the election comes. That's my idea of hope. Yeah. Ooh, yes. I was think, like thinking about this through our whole bunny trail up to 2020. Um, I was just thinking of how Marvel is able to make all their heroes still human. And so sending Steve back to Peggy, that's human. And I think that almost shows you that if these people have flaws and if these people still make mistakes, then think of what we can do with our flaws and our mistakes. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It makes them more real than the Greek Herculean mm -hmm. heroes we were talking about. Right. It and sets I mean, them, even in a fantastical world of superheroes, right. they're, still, they're still bathed in reality with, with emotions and mm -hmm. vices, which we all deal with. Yep. They also do the same thing for their villains. Yeah. They make the villains real people but you don't want to hate them. I think a great example about that is Killmonger from Black Panther. Definitely. Yeah. He's got a point. He has a very good point. <laughs> his methods and his actions were incredibly extreme, but He's wrestling with things that, and going back to 2020 now, those things are very real. And to, and to have Marvel to bring that up, even, you know, in just in one film, in the way they, in the way they did it, is remarkable. Mm -hmm. Unless you continue doing that. It is. And that's going to be their challenge. Looking at the realness of both the heroes and villains, it just, it's hard because, you know, you want your heroes to be perfect and you want your villains to be evil. And I think that's what our society struggles with today because not one side is all bad or all good. And I think that Marvel is doing a really good job of teaching that to the younger generations because of villains like Killmonger or situations like when Steve went back to Peggy because it is so real and so tangible and you can see yourself doing the same thing, maybe to a less extreme version and without <laughs> travel. Yeah. But you can see yourself doing those things and you, you connect with them in a way that you feel like maybe you shouldn't connect with a villain. 
and it proves the point about society mm -hmm. in a way that not a lot of other superhero movies do. Things in the world aren't black and white. Things are gray and Marvel, especially in their later films now, is leaning into that grayness, leaning into that uncomfortableness of mm -hmm. how there's darkness in all of us, with there's light in all of us too. And like some of the ideas of these characters, even the villains, maybe aren't all bad. It's just how they get to that final conclusion, final point that just makes them villains. I mean, if in Thanos's, the very, what his philosophy is based off of, it's got a point, mm -hmm. again, the idea of overpopulation. That like, that's so, like a real issue. That's something we're facing. Like, I'm, on our, that's yeah, in well half of the population is not how we should go about this. Stuff like that is accurately, scarily accurately reflected in Marvel films and I think that's why I love them so much is because they are so real and they are so relatable and they do reflect modern issues and it's not just like, oh, I'm Superman, I'm the American ideal and therefore he's a perfect human being because that's not realistic. It just gives you a chance to reflect on your life in the world around you. And I think that's almost inspiring too, that Marvel is able is. to take these massive movies and their whole universe and really just inspire people and try to help people find the right way to go about fixing certain problems. It also makes these movies, in my experience, they trigger emotions that we don't feel on a daily basis. The first time I've ever seen David Shear cry <laughs> is at Endgame because Tony Stark died, because he really felt connected to Tony Stark and watching that wither away really got to him and he actually cried. I have never heard him cry or seen him cry ever. And I've known him since birth. And so it's stuff like that that really points out how amazing this universe is. They tap into that humanity that is evident, mm -hmm. sometimes hidden beneath all of our skin. Yeah. Even I, I don't cry that much at movies. We all know this. But I think it was at the end, after Tony had died, when it was, it's Morgan, right? Morgan Stark. Yeah. When she was in the room and he was and just her processing it too. That's what got me. What got me was the actual funeral scene. That too. As you pan up the hill. I think it's because when we look at the faces of each and every person, we mm -hmm. see how Tony Stark has affected each and every person's life. How much of an impact he has made, especially Spider-Man, Tom Holland. That's why I think Far From Home succeeds so well. It's because of seeing Peter struggle with grief. I think they could have leaned into that even more heavily. It's a very real thing. And, and you both know this. However, I bawl my eyes out at almost every movie I see. 100%. It's a known fact. Um, but what really, what happened to me at Endgame was, yes, I bawled my eyes out at parts 
But at that funeral, I couldn't even shed a tear. Like, that's how emotional it was for me that I couldn't even cry, which is saying something because I cry at any emotion, happy, sad, angry, anything I cry. And so that for me was really shocking because that's when everyone had expected me to cry and I didn't. And that that's never happened to me. There was not another franchise out there where there was one collection of characters that we journeyed with consistently every year for 11 years. And the way they mix the stories and all of them connect. And you can, even re-watching some of the early movies, there are hints at Infinity War and Endgame. But we didn't know that way back when. Everything builds. Every single character beats builds and emotional journeys, Mm -hmm. especially for the original lineup of Avengers, which conclude in Endgame. And that's why I think it's so emotional too, because we have become emotionally attached Mm -hmm. to these individuals and we've identified with their stories. And the worst part for me, watching Endgame was knowing, well, yeah, and knowing that we will have to attach ourselves to a new generation mm-hmm. of heroes with with our beloved heroes gone, it's going to be an adjustment. But that also me. speaks to the transition. With- because, you know, I find comfort in Steve Rogers and in Tony Stark. I think that's especially important, a theme for us three right now. Because mm-hmm. we're moving on to college. Yep. That transition, which we're going to see, hopefully reflected in these next films, is the same transition in a way we're going to be going through. We're going to find a new community. We'll still be attached <laughs> to this wonderful community we've had in Red Wing and this high school community. I sure hope so. But we're going to be venturing outside of our comfort. Yes. And discovering a whole new world, to quote Aladdin. <laughs> It's going to be interesting because it's almost, we know it's the end of a chapter and the beginning of a new one, but it's also, it could be a start of a new generation of Marvel lovers too. They're going to grow up with just this new chapter. I mean, they could still watch the old ones, but their focus is going to be on these new ones. And it's going to be interesting comparing how their love for the Marvel Universe and the new characters compares to our experience with them. And are we going to enjoy these next movies and TV series? I'm going to. <laughs> but just think about when we have kids. We're growing up. Are we, we going to show oh. our kids Thor? Yes, right? Show yeah. them Avengers and have that experience with our own next generation going to be like my mom trying to watch Dirty Dancing with me. (laughs) (laughs) But this time... Or my mom or Pat and all of his space babies. We have that responsibility to pass on these great stories. Hopefully our kids will like them, but who knows? Maybe they'll be on to the new iPhone 25. (laughs) They're going to like them. They're going to (laughs) like them. So help me God. Even just thinking of all the good movies that have come out in our lifetime. 
so far and you know we're all just 18 here fast forward 15 20 25 years it's going to be interesting to see where movies end up mm-hmm. too and if any of the movies from our generation are actually going to be that big probably marvel because they're so big love simon better be up there that too yeah who knows the superhero genre could die out let's say marvel these next phase four films crash and burn so let's not let's let's not hope for that and pray for that but what if what if they could die out the superhero craze I think something else could replace it. Musical movies could come back or something crazy like that. I feel like if superhero movies die out, there's going to be, there isn't going to be as much inspiration. You have all these other movies, and yes, there's inspiration, but there's something about a superhero, and especially with the Marvel superheroes, there, you get inspiration from just about any movie. But there's something about a Marvel movie and Marvel characters that just inspires you more and a superhero and it makes you have hope in the world that there Mm -hmm. are people like that maybe not with super strength or magic but there are good people out there it would be pretty cool though if someone did have magic and if you do like let me know (laughs) (laughs) if Steve Rogers Captain America existed if Thor existed oh Listen, if Steve Rogers exists and is anywhere around the age of 18, I would like to be notified. I mean, Chris <laughs> Evans. Chris Evans just exists. I could just be that's close enough. That's close enough. Now, if Chris Evans just decided to show up in Red Wing, preferably during winter breaks or summer breaks when I'm home from college... <laughs> And maybe decided to show up at my door when my friends were there. That'd be great. You know, Chris Pratt was born in Minnesota. I, would, I know it's the wrong yeah. Chris, but... I would die. I would literally die <laughs> on the Well, I think that was a wonderful way to wrap up this first episode of Marvel Madness. I want to thank Amelia and Grace so much for coming on the podcast and having this wonderful conversation about Marvel and why we love the MCU and why we're going to hopefully continue loving it in the future. Oh, I'm going to continue. I hope I continue. For 60 years down the line. 60 years. (laughs) It's going to, till I'm in the next life, there's going to be a new kind of Marvel. What is in heaven? Okay. We all believe in heaven. You think there's going to be a Marvel viewing room or something? (laughs) I think God's going to set that up for us. There better be. I would never leave that room. (laughs) That's Amelia's room in heaven. I will see all of you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Mystery Science Marshall. I'm trying to post episodes weekly. That is the plan. So hopefully that happens. I have many more episodes to come. I'm recording an episode with Sydney Zimmer about theater, fun times. I'm going to record an episode with Justin about religion and faith and all that fun stuff. Thank you all for listening. Remember... To love what you love, love who you love, love yourself, and keep feeling groovy. Bye, everybody. What you know I come to watch your flowers growing. Ain't you got no rhymes for me? Do it and do do, feeling groovy. Da-da-da-da-da-da, groovy. I 
got no deeds to do, no promises to keep. I'm dappled and drowsy and ready to sleep. Let the morning time drop all its petals on me. Life, I love you, all is groovy.